0: Let's open our Bibles to the 10th chapter of Romans as we continue verse by verse through this great book. The title of the message today is a question really, two words, why missions? As we walk together through these familiar verses, I want us to think through how First Baptist Church of Keller has developed a rationale and a strategy for taking the gospel not only to our neighbors here in North Tarrant County, but indeed to the ends of the world. And so we'll begin by reading our text, Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14, says, How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of great things. However, they did not all hear the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading and hearing and listening of this His Word. Now the context of these verses, of course, is set in the bigger picture of the theme of the entire book of Romans, and that is the doctrine of justification by faith, which is the answer to the age-old question, how can a person be made right with a holy God? And within that theme, Paul is taking a bit of a detour here in chapters 9, 10, and 11 to address a thorny practical issue of his day, which is to answer the question, if Israel is God's chosen people. Why is it, Paul, that by and large the Jews reject Jesus and the gospel? In chapter 9, Paul answers that question from God's perspective. He says it's owing to his elective purposes, his sovereignty, that it has never been the case that every genetically Jewish person was saved. God has always used a remnant of believers to accomplish his will. He's still doing that in the New Testament. But here in chapter 10, Paul explains the answer to that question from a human perspective, and it boils down to unbelief. That is, most Jewish people who don't believe are in the same camp as Gentile people who don't believe. Uh, The fact that a person is lost is owing to their lack of faith, and in many cases, it's willful, stubborn unbelief. The problem, as we have seen for the past two Sundays, is that the Jews, by and large, pursued God's righteousness the wrong way. They pursued it by keeping of the law, that is through works rather than by faith. And where we ended last Sunday was in verse 14 of chapter 10 which gives us a crystal clear summary of the Gospel message. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is through faith alone in what Christ has accomplished through His sinless life, His substitutionary death, and His literal bodily resurrection. Now you might be asking, Pastor what in the world does all that have to do with missions? And I would say everything. Because the Bible clearly lays forth that every person ever born will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. God has provided a way in which people can be saved from his wrath and made righteous before him. But there's only one way and that is through faith alone in Christ alone. So the gospel then is the content of the saving message or we call it the good news that Jesus died for sinners. And here in verses 14 through 17, the Apostle Paul is laying out in vivid detail the road map step-by-step instructions using a series of rhetorical questions about how a man or woman, boy or girl, can be made right with God. And so we want to address those rhetorical questions to answer our question today, which is why do we do missions? Well, first and foremost, we do missions because of unbelief in the world. Look at Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now you could cut that verse in half and start a new sentence with the pronoun they. They have not believed. That is a declaration of all lost people's condition. They have not believed. Now that's a plural personal pronoun, but it's antecedent. goes all the way back to what Paul said earlier in chapter 9 where he says all, whether Jew or Gentiles. So he's talking about all humanity there. Their basic root problem is unbelief. See, Paul declares that to be made right with the Holy God, we have to believe on, that is, as we saw two weeks ago, to put our weight on, to rest upon, to trust in, and give allegiance to Jesus Christ. There are, I am told, nearly eight billion souls on planet Earth today. And if statistics are to believe, the vast, vast majority do not believe on Christ. That is, they have not called on him to forgive their sins. They have not put their trust or their weight of their soul on his finished work. Now, some have heard and willfully, stubbornly will not believe, but many have not heard. John Piper famously said that missions exist because worship does not. You experience this when you travel to other parts of the world and you're confronted with pagan deities and idols and people worshiping everything and anything. And if you felt the weight of that, you've understood one of the reasons why we do missions. We love our Lord and we're so grateful for what he's done for us. And where his name is being blasphemed and profaned and ignored, it causes us emotional grief. And so because Christ deserves to be worshipped, we want to take that message to people who are not worshipping him because of their unbelief. There's a second reason we do missions according to Verse 14, and that is because there's ignorance in the world. How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? Again, cut the sentence in half. They have not heard. It's a very simple question. How can a person believe on Jesus if they've not heard the content of the gospel? And the implied answer is they cannot and they will not. Now, I've often said from this pulpit that it is not enough to go to heaven to give intellectual assent to the historical facts of the Bible. You can believe that Jesus is God's son. You can believe that he died on the cross. You can even believe that he was resurrected literally from the grave and not go to heaven. How do I know that? Because Satan and his demons believe all that. But they have not bowed their knee to his sovereignty and his lordship. But a person cannot hear this, cannot be saved without believing those historical facts about Christ. And they cannot believe those historical facts unless they hear it. So if the gospel is good news, and it is, that good news does not do a person any good unless they hear it. Now it's hard for us to imagine, sitting where we do, living where we do, to put ourselves in a position I've never heard the gospel message. Most of us in this room have heard it over and over. Uh, yet there remains in the world today, literally, billions of people who are ignorant of the good news message for lack of hearing. So those are the first two reasons that First Baptist Keller does missions. Number one, there are billions of people in the world who don't believe and don't worship Christ. And we think he's worthy of their worship. Number two, there are billions of people in the world who have never heard the gospel story. There's a third reason that we do missions here and it's because of God's sovereignty. Now, Paul has declared that the world is full of unbelievers and many of them have never heard the gospel message. But we believe that God is sovereign here, don't we? That is, he created this world, this universe, and in his sovereignty, he can rule and reign over it in any way that he chooses. He's right to do so. And that means if God wanted to, if he were of a mind to, if he willed to, he could get this gospel message to every person on planet Earth in any way he wanted. He could write it in the stars. He could have it rain, as the rain is falling outside from heaven so that everyone would have access to it. But he's not done so. In his sovereignty, he has chosen the means of missions and evangelism to proclaim this gospel truth. That is, God has chosen to take the gospel message from one person who has heard it and believed on it to another person who has yet to hear it and therefore has not believed it. Of course, we call that process, generically, evangelism. You say, well, pastor, you say we're talking about missions today. We are, because evangelism and missions, as you know, are two sides of the same coin. The word evangelism is from a Greek word, euangelion, which means good news. And so it's the content of the message. Missions, however, is from a Latin prefix, missio, which means to send or to launch like a missile. And so by definitions, missions as a whole is the endeavor to glorify God by crossing cultures, by sending people out to different cultures and language to make disciples of all nations. And for years, we have been asking God to make First Baptist Church of Keller a launching pad for missions all over the world. He's answered that. I mentioned today that we have teams out in Vietnam and Kenya this morning. We've got a group getting ready to go to Mexico this week for what we call partnering ministries. That is where the gospel is known by a few people, but they need help in perpetuating it. We'll send teams out to train pastors and evangelists and we'll send financial resources and literature to help these people spread the gospel in their own language. That's a good part of the missions enterprise here at First Baptist Keller is partnering with others in other nations. But we're also involved in classic missions or what we call pioneer missions. That is unreached people groups. Reaching people that literally have never heard it before. About 15 years ago, we partnered with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention to reach an unreached people group they had identified called the Yalunka, And they lived in Western Africa, primarily in the political nation of Mali. And Brother Keith Arnett and Brother Lawrence Duhon went on the first trip. And they literally went through jungles and crossed crocodile-infested waters to get to these people. And they were the first Westerners many of these people had ever seen. And when the children got over their shock, they, they listened to the gospel message. And when they came back, they didn't say these people were hostile to us or mean to us. They said, these people listen. And in fact, some of them profess faith in Christ on the spot. And since then, many subsequent trips, many of those people have come to Saving Faith. And to the point today where there are full-time pastors and missionaries ministering and translating the gospel into their own indigenous language. And so I remember when the stories came back that people were being saved, several people asked me, does it surprise you that uh, these people were saved? And my answer is always no. God promised that, didn't he? Didn't he say he had his people in every tribe and people group and ethnicity on nation? Well, pioneer missions. I said that Romans 10 lays out the roadmap for doing missions. And what that roadmap is, Uh, at the end of the day, is the means through which God has chosen in His sovereignty for people and people groups to be saved. So let's look at our text once again, and let's just walk back through that series of rhetorical questions, this chain of evangelism and mission. First, he says, how will they call? That is, how will lost people call upon Jesus? That is, in verse 13, he says that when a person is given faith, they express that faith by calling out to Jesus. Now sometimes people call on Jesus' name and it's not for salvation. Sometimes they do it as a profane word or blasphemy when they strike their thumbnail with a hammer or they're back in a particularly hard corner. Uh, they'll just blurt out, help me, Jesus. He's not talking about profanity there or desperation. He's talking about recognizing Jesus as Lord and calling upon him to forgive your sins and be the Lord of your life. How can they do that? Unless they believe. And how can they believe unless they've heard the message of the gospel? To believe is to more than give intellectual assent. It's to put all your weight and trust upon. And unless a person puts their faith and trust upon Christ, they'll never call out to him for salvation. And they'll never believe on Jesus unless they hear the facts of the gospel. That is, how will they hear without a message proclaimed? One must hear the gospel message to believe and then to call for salvation. And how will they hear a message proclaimed unless someone proclaims it? How will they hear without a preacher? He's not talking about someone like myself who wears a coat and tie every week and stands up before you. That's just one way a person can preach. It's to proclaim, to profess. Other places in the New Testament, it's to publish the gospel. That is to make it known where it's unknown. And then the last question is how will someone preach unless they're sent? You might ask, sent by whom? Doesn't a person just get a feeling inside and go out on their own? Well, not if they're following the Lord's plan. They have to be sent by God. There's great warnings in the Old Testament about people who claim to be speaking for God when He hasn't sent them. So we need to be very certain that the Lord is sending us before we dare speak in His name. But He has called Christians out to proclaim and He's still doing that in every generation. And the primary means that he sends people out, I'm convinced, is through the local church. And now we're really getting down to brass tacks about our own strategy here. So what is the strategy of First Baptist Keller? Well, number one, we recognize our mandate and our command to be a part of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And then, prayerfully, we have a strategy. We have a strategy that's led by our full-time missions and evangelism pastor, Lawrence Duhon. He relates to a missions committee made up of people just like you, volunteers. And each month they meet and they hear about opportunities to partner with others in missions around the world. Also hear about areas where there is no gospel message or little gospel message. And they make decisions about allocating human resources and financial resources to those places. And and then we're prayerful throughout that process And then we report back to you. That's what these video um, uh, shots have been the last several months of Sundays. Because we want you to know how this dollar is being spent and what the strategy is so that you can be prayerful. We also believe that God sends people out as local churches pool their resources to cooperate. We believe in cooperative missions here primarily through our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention. And no matter what you think about the Southern Baptist Convention I tell you there's something very good happening in the Southern Baptist Convention it's called the International Missions Board where thousands of men and women are sent to every nation on planet earth with the gospel and our church gets to participate through that in a couple of ways one we have IMB missionaries who are members of our church we also get to help others financially By being a part of what's called the cooperative program. I always say Baptists aren't very creative in naming of things, but what we make up and what we lack in creativity, we make up in zeal. And so the 48,000 churches of the Southern Baptist Convention participate in the cooperative program through giving a percentage of their undesignated receipts, as our church does. And we're glad to do that. And what a joy as we hear what the Lord is doing around the world. But we're also sending out short-term teams all the time. We're participating with other worthy organizations that share our philosophy of ministry. So for all of these reasons and others, we do missions, but it's all based upon our understanding of the Great Commission. And so before we go, let's remind ourselves of what that is. Turn quickly to Matthew chapter 28. As we were taking the Lord's Supper a moment ago, I read from Matthew chapter 26. But just a couple of chapters later, after Jesus has been crucified and he's risen from the dead, he gathers his inner circle disciples again and he gives them their marching orders. And we believe by extension, it comes to us to this day. And it's Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, which says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you... And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That Greek word is ethnos. And the best interpretation of the word ethnos is people group. Now, there's about 200 geopolitical countries in the world today. And it changes all the time. But I am told there are nearly 16,000 ethnos, people groups. Those that have a distinct language and history and culture and way of life. And I believe this is what he's talking about here. Um, Now, you you know, if this was the only reason we had to do missions, that Jesus told us to do it, that ought to be enough, right? Our Lord said do it, and so we're going to do it in obedience to him. But there are other reasons as well. Uh, One that really motivates me is that our success is guaranteed in the Scripture. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, if you knew that you could undertake some difficult task... It would be a lot easier if you knew your success was guaranteed. And ours is as it relates to the Great Commission because the Bible teaches that obedience is success. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? People in the church at Corinth were bickering and debating about who was the best preacher in town. And Paul said, look, none of us died for you. If you want to describe what God's men do, here it is, two words. Number one, we are slaves of Jesus Christ." And no one ever celebrated slaves in Paul's part of the world. And number two, we are stewards or managers of what Christ has entrusted us with. And what Christ had entrusted Paul with primarily was the gospel, the good news message. And he was accountable to God for distributing it and taking it as far as wide as the Lord would allow. And this is what he says. What is required of a steward is that he is found faithful, trustworthy. He didn't say, I am a good servant if I have a 10% growth every year. He says, a minister of God and a steward of Jesus is successful if they do what Jesus told them to do. And friends, if that's true of Paul, it's true of First Baptist Keller. It's true of Keith Sanders, it's true of you. If God tells you to tell someone the gospel and you do, you have been successful. You have been faithful in the eyes of God. But many times, God in his sovereignty allows us to see fruit. What a joy it is when people get saved and are baptized. We ought to celebrate it. The Bible says there's joy in heaven over one that repents of sin. So should we. But we're also guaranteed success because of the great doctrine espoused here in these three chapters. And that's the doctrine of election. God has said, I have my chosen ones in every tribe and tongue. And when we go and preach, we preach to everybody because we don't know who those chosen ones are. But he said there's some there. I'm reminded of the book of Acts where Paul went and preached in a great city. And the Bible says all those who were appointed to salvation believed. Every one of them is going to be saved. And we get to be the means sometimes from seeing that fruit. So finally though, there's one more reason I want to draw to your attention why we do missions here at First Baptist Keller. And that is because I believe it is the ultimate privilege to do so. I figured out a few years ago that uh, I will never be one of the world's beautiful people. Um, I had a deacon tell me one time that I had a face that would be perfect for radio. (laughs) But it's uh, fun sometimes to be around the beautiful people. Um, Every other year. I I like to go out to a pastor's conference that I greatly enjoy and am edified by in Southern California. And when I go, I try to take an intern or a seminary student who's never been to something like this. And uh, it's always fun to take someone for the first time. And a couple of years ago, right before COVID hit, uh, I took my intern, he was from Kentucky, He had not spent much time in California. And so uh, we went, we had an afternoon off and he said, I wanna see the ocean. I said, okay, we've got time. And so we drove down uh, the interstate from the valley there and took a ride and headed through the hills. And I knew this particular route we were on would take us right by Beverly Hills, California. And so I'd intended to do this. And instead of going to the ocean, I took a ride and we went up this great hill and we saw where the beautiful people live. And some of them were out walking their dogs and and we had a good time doing that. But you know what the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians chapter one, There's not many wise, not many noble, not many of those kind of people that bow their knee to Jesus. There's some, they have every right to access the gospels we do, right? The Bible says not many of them are chosen. God has chosen, he said, the plain things of the world. People that are as common as clay like yours truly, and I'm looking at you too, you fall in that category too, okay? (laughs) We're, We're just the common things of life But that's the means that in God's sovereignty, He's chosen to get this unbelievably good news message to a lost and dying world. And sometimes I read about my peers I went to seminary with who are getting out of ministry and going into politics or law or business and that's between them and the Lord. But I tell you, I guess I'm just too prideful for that because I cannot imagine lowering myself to do something other than preach Jesus. That is the greatest privilege any of us could have and that's no offense to any lawyers or businessmen here today, but you can have that privilege too. You don't have to be ordained to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. There is no greater or higher privilege on earth than being the vehicle and the means, the conduit through which the gospel goes to someone who is unsaved. And so, though we may never be beautiful people in the eyes of the world, verse 15 here in Romans 10, It says we can be beautiful in the eyes of God. At least our feet can be. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. He's doing what Paul does. He quotes the Old Testament. Doesn't bring in psychology or secular literature. He he points to the Old Testament. Quotes Isaiah 52, 7. It says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. We all like to be the bearer of good news, I do. Um, I'm I'm reminded about someone in ancient history whose people thought his feet were beautiful. Um, Goes back to ancient Greece. There was a battle between the Greeks and the Persians on the plains of Marathon, which was 26.2 miles from the capital city of Athens. And uh, this battle was gonna determine the future of that great empire and the Greeks prevailed, and someone was chosen to take that good news message back to Athens so that the people would know whether or not they were gonna have a civilization anymore. And this particular man volunteered and he ran the entire way, 26.2 miles to the gates of Athens. And when he got there, he only had enough breath to say one word, victory, and then he collapsed and died. And to honor his memory, People have been running marathons ever since well i'm sure his feet over that 26.2 miles were blistered and bloodied and picked up a lot of dust and dirt from the trail but those people still honor and revere him to this day and friends you don't have to be a beautiful person as the world counts beauty if the lord says your feet are beautiful This is what Paul is declaring. The the, the people who travel, who are sent out as missiles, who go to the hard places in the world with this good news message, God blesses them and rewards them and calls their feet beautiful. Now feet, in my estimation, are not one of the more attractive features of the human body, particularly those that uh, have been out in nature, open-toed with sandals as people wore in those days. I'm reminded of Jesus stooping to wash the feet of the disciples. And what a great act of humility that must have been as they had the dirt and dust of the world upon them. But God calls those who carry the gospel, who are sent out into the world, beautiful. Well, let's make some application before we go. Um, As we think about missions, if you're part of this church, what about you? I know that not all of you have the health or the means to travel. But we, as part of our strategy, have more missions opportunities than just over yonder. See, there's all kinds of different cultures within 10 miles of this very spot. There's a homeless ministry 10 miles from here in downtown Fort Worth that many of you serve at. And amazingly, it's called Beautiful Feet Ministries. And, and what a great place to start doing missions in a cross culture because the homeless culture, I assure you, is very different than that of Keller, Texas. You can go to Indian Reservation in New Mexico. Um, you can go and, and minister among people in the inner city. Um, these are ways to participate in missions without a passport. But then maybe what you would consider going where you do need a passport on, on long-term or short-term missions. Now, maybe there's someone here today that the Lord is leading you to plant your life in another part of the world. Young people, as people are telling you, you need to keep your grades up and stay in the top 10% of your class so you can get in a good college, so you can get a good job and live the American dream. What if the Lord was saying to you, my dream and my plan for you has nothing to do with that. My plan for you is to give up all of that and go plant your life in another part of the world. Your friends may think you're crazy, but the Lord may think you're beautiful for doing that. Maybe it's partnering missions with someone who's already there. Maybe it's assisting them. Maybe it's going literally where the name of Jesus is unknown. Well, i talked talk to young people. Now let's talk to parents and grandparents. What would happen if your child, the apple of your eye, came home from church today and said, Mom, Dad, I need to talk with you. Been praying about it a lot. I am convinced that the Lord wants me to be a full-time missionary. Your first response is to get mad at Brother Keith for preaching this sermon today, I know. (laughs) What would your response be? I don't know as I sit here today. I I hope and pray that I would rejoice if one of my children would make that announcement. Hasn't happened yet, so I don't know. But I'm praying that my heart and mind would be open to that that I would have no greater joy than to know my children are serving the Lord. What about you? A lot of grandparents here today praying for your kids. Do you want them to have the American dream or do you want them to serve Jesus? Now you can serve Jesus in business, you can serve Jesus in medicine, and I believe the Lord would call some to do that, but you can also serve Jesus by taking the gospel, being sent out by this church in our denomination to a place where Jesus is unknown. Would you join me in praying for that? Would you join in our church-wide prayer of many years that the Lord would be pleased to use this church as a launching pad for missions all over the world? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, and you have laid out clear as day your roadmap to salvation. It begins when one person who has been saved is willing to proclaim that saving gospel message to someone who has not been saved. And Father, then you take that proclaimed message and you convict their heart of sin, judgment, and righteousness through your Holy Spirit. Then you grant them the faith to believe and then they call upon the name of the Lord and he forgives their sin. And that process, that that chain has been perpetually going on for 2,000 years. And so long as the world stands, it will continue on. And Father, we as individual Christians and as members of First Baptist Keller have the great and high privilege of being part of that process. And Father, we know that you don't need us, but we count it a joy and a privilege to participate in the Great Commission. Father, I thank you for those you've sent out from our church who are full-time missionaries in other parts of the world. We thank you for the mission's partners that we have in places like Spain and Romania, Vietnam, India, South America, Mexico. Um, Lord, thank you. I pray for each of them, uh, those leaders there. Give them safety and health, but give them boldness, Father. And if there's ways that we can increase our support for them, show us that. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of providing for them financially. Lord, we live in a part of the world that's affluent. And one day you're going to hold us accountable. You tell us to whom much is given, much is required. So Lord, help us to be generous. Help us to have open hands of hospitality and generosity, especially to support those who are going out with the gospel message. And then, Father, I unashamedly ask you today, to do what you've been doing for thousands of years, to raise up in this generation from among us missionaries, pastors, denominational leaders, deacons, Christian businessmen and women, medical missionaries, Father, all those that you use to make Jesus known where he's unknown. And then Father, our ultimate aim is to see people worshiping who are not yet worshiping Jesus. Jesus, you deserve it. You alone are worthy of the worship of all eight billion people on planet Earth. And until that happens, Lord, give us zeal for evangelism. Give us the means to carry out your plan here at First Baptist Keller. And whatever good you accomplish in and through us, we'll be very careful. Give all the praise, honor, and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast.